At this time, I really want to invite and, and welcome up Aaron, Pastor Aaron. Um, if you recognize the last name, Halavin, it's because his dad was the secretary treasurer for a few years. And then he became the district superintendent for a few years. And now he's retired and probably busier than ever. <laughs> So anyway, um, I really appreciate Pastor Aaron wanting to come up to northern Michigan from Brighton to come up here, this terrible place. I know, it's just a, it was terrible. That yesterday in the boat was terrible. I know, you suffered through the whole thing. And uh, But we're just glad you're here. And uh, just give us the word that you would have for our church and uh, what you have for our district. Thank you, Amen. Thank you. Yep. Yes, sir. Wherever you want to preach. You can preach anywhere you want. No, that's good. Good. Good morning. How are you? You need to know something about me. I'm an energetic person. So the more you say amen, the faster I preach. If I think you're asleep, I'll just enjoy talking. So uh, be vibrant today. And thank you to Pastor Mike and Chris. Uh, first of all, they are incredible hosts. Uh, Pastor Mike and uh, Jackie are great hosts. They uh, took time away from their family. What's that? What did I say? Oh, Jackie's the worship leader. I was going to say, I saw her in the back, and my mind went to Jackie. Sorry. Jackie, thank you for leading worship. Can you appreciate her? I was planning to say that as well. Uh, there is no scandal happening. It is Mike and Chris, okay? I want to be clear on that. Uh, and uh, they were such gracious hosts. They took time away from their family who was up yesterday. I got to tour uh, Chris's dad's uh, house and uh, got to go on the boat and see Charlevoix. My goodness, do you live in a mini paradise? Uh, we live in Sterling Heights. Our office is in Brighton, and uh, Sterling Heights is becoming a concrete jungle. It's the third largest city in Michigan, and it is overpopulating. It takes literally 30 minutes to go four miles uh, right now. Construction is everywhere. And my word, you have... You need to be blessed. You need to know how blessed you are to live here. I'm sure you do, but I know that when you live here, you can take it for granted. But my word, it was just a wonderful day. And, and again, uh, Pastor Mike and Chris are such gracious people. Rip and Vicki are here. Uh, many of you may not know this, but Rip and Vicki were my youth pastors when I was, uh, in junior high school. It was them who first started talking to me about becoming a pastor. And I believe my response was something like, shut up. Maybe not that harsh, but that was the basic intent of it was leave me alone. I don't want to have any part of that. Not because I had a bad experience, but just because I just didn't feel, I just didn't want to listen. And uh, and so when I uh, first went into ministry, I ran into Rip somewhere and he said, told you. And uh, when I was elected to superintendent, uh, one of them, I don't remember, I think it was Vicky, posted something on Facebook. I remember the day when we used to run away from that. And so it's such an honor to have two of my favorite people. And I love them. How many love Rip and Vicky? They are just fantastic folks and uh, part of our family. In fact, Rip and Vicky, I don't know if you know this, but... Um, you were so faithful and committed to my parents during a very difficult time at a church. And uh, they always say, without you and Roger and Vicki uh, and Wally and Sherry, they wouldn't have made it in ministry. And you were good to them and faithful to them. And I'm forever grateful to that. You know, we need good people in the kingdom. And by the way, let me encourage you, support your pastors as best as you can. They need it. Uh, I used to pastor a, a pretty large church in multi-campuses, and people would say things to me like, Pastor, I was going to send you a text and tell you how great you're doing, but I know you get that all the time, and I just didn't want to be another voice. And the real truth is, pastors get less encouragement than you know. And yeah, and they get tons of the other stuff. And so if you ever have a prompting to say thank you or I appreciate you, run with that and do it. That's a biblical principle, and uh, you should encourage them. And uh, I have friends in Charlevoix, and uh, I will have to, my wife and I will have to leave fairly quickly after service. We're driving up to Kinchlow today. We have an election for a new pastor uh, that's happening this afternoon, and uh, so uh, we won't be able to hang. That's why we hung with them yesterday. And by the way, two of the cutest grandkids you've ever seen in your entire life were hanging out on that beach. And uh, my wife Jamie's with me. 
me. We've been married almost 24 years, almost into our heading towards our 25th year. We have two daughters. One is 19. She's a college student at University of Valley Forge. My youngest is a sophomore heading into her sophomore year of high school. She's six foot tall, a center, possibly making varsity basketball. She's kind of a big deal. And uh, she doesn't know it yet, so that's a good thing. She's still humble, and we're grateful for her. And we have a dog. I hated dogs, never wanted a dog. My kids did a PowerPoint presentation. Um, I cave, got this little petite golden doodle. She's about this big, and she climbs on my arm every night, laying on her back, staring into my eyes for hours, pets my beard, I pet her belly. I have fallen in love with this dog, and don't tell my wife or daughters, but she's my favorite. And uh, I now am crazy about it. And Jamie says she's my favorite, too. Hurt my feelings a little bit, but I said it, too. So uh, we love pastoring. Many people uh, wonder what I do as a superintendent. Uh, we oversee about 250 churches, about 860 credential holders. It's a pretty big job. Most of what I do, you would not enjoy doing. Um, I, but I love people. And people say uh, we, we'll travel about 40 to 50,000 miles a year on car and flying. And people say, what's that like? And the good news is there's people on every side of my journeys. Uh, today, there's you in the morning. Yesterday, it was Pastor Mike and Chris. Uh, this afternoon, my journey will lead me to people in Kinchlow. From there, my journey eventually will lead me home to my family and my dog. And so uh, the way I live my life is that I'm about people. I care about people. I just want to be with people. I've loved people since I was a little kid and continue to love people. It's the greatest joy of your life is to be someone who can love people. Uh, Christians who are grumpy and Christians who are withdrawn, I don't understand it. Because the love of Jesus is so great, he should overwhelm us that wherever we go, we should splash hope to the world around us. And uh, that's just the way Jamie and I live our lives. Today I want to share with you a, a message, uh, and it's meant to be encouraging, but it's, it also has a challenging edge to it as well. Uh, Jesus, uh, how many know it's always great to have experienced a miracle, but no one wants to need one? Nobody wants to need a miracle, but everybody knows you're, you're, yeah, you're, you gotta back up there. My wife is in control of the PowerPoint. Look at you. We got there. And, uh, and today I want to talk about our view of God because Jesus in the Bible during his three years on earth performed a bunch of miracles in a relatively short period of time. And we read that and we kind of say, oh, that was kind of the norm of that season. And it was. Jesus was doing incredible things. But Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 14 verse 12 that's been bothering me for a few months. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Now, if Jesus had stopped there, how many would say, that's enough? That anyone who believes in him, who has faith in him, will do what he did. I mean, how many know if Jesus said it, it's true. If Jesus said it, it's true. That should be the way it is. If I would just act and function and, I mean, I haven't turned water to wine. I haven't seen people get raised from the dead in my years of ministry. Those are the things Jesus did, perform miracle loaves of fishes. I have wished at certain Mexican restaurants that I love that the food would multiply. How many say amen to that? There's some good Middle Eastern restaurants. I'd like that food to multiply. I just know so often in my life that that I fall short of what Jesus said in that first sentence, and that is to do what he did. But then he goes on and he says, he, referring to those who believe in him, will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And we all stop and say, okay, wait a minute. Jesus is identifying that once he goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come. God gives us two great gifts when Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit and the church. That's what forms immediately following Jesus' ascension to heaven. It's the two greatest gifts he's given to modern life. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, guides our life, leads our life. He gave us the church to live alongside each other. You are not meant to be a spiritual spa. You're meant to be a hospital where broken things get fixed and broken people come in. And by the way, if you are a church that is into redeeming people and you become a a church where the unsaved start coming in your church, you better get comfortable because it's going to mess up your comfort. And you say, well, I'm not that comfortable. Really? I bet you sit in the same seats every Sunday. And we say, oh, crud. Yeah, I'm in the same seat. Yeah, do you know why? Because we do church well instead of being the church often. We do church well 
We, we're good at doing church instead of doing, being the church wherever we go. And we sort of get into our comfort. We love change until someone changes something you love. <laughs> Pastor, change anything, change anything. Just if you ever touch this wood, I'm going to kill you. But you could change this, you could change that. But if you touch this face right here, I'm coming after you. And we get this way in the kingdom of God. And can I just say this? The reason we're not doing what Jesus did and doing greater is because we're focused on a lot of stupid things that Jesus doesn't care about. Jesus doesn't really care about the temperature of a worship center. He doesn't care if the music's too loud or too quiet. He doesn't care if your seat is comfortable or if someone sits in your seat. We literally went and preached at a church. I didn't know where to sit. We sat in the seat and this couple comes up to us and goes, they're in our seat. (laughs) So Jamie says to me, you'll like this, Pastor Mike. She says to me, should we move? I said, no, I'm going to help this pastor out. We're staying. So these people are going to learn to be flexible. She's like, but they might not like us. I said, I don't care. We're leaving. We're preaching and leaving. I'm going to help this pastor out. Because as Christians, we're really good at getting inundated to what we do in a rhythm more than the rhythm of Christ. And so what happens is when I look at my life and I see that my theology says that Jesus said we would do what he did or even greater, my reality doesn't match that. And and so what we do in the kingdom of God is we have this gap. And the gap is where anxiety and frustration and grumpiness exists. Because we have a desire for the presence of God that is deeper to overwhelm us, but we don't have the patience to sit and tarry in the presence of God. We don't have the patience to do the disciplines. I I had a lady in my church say to me, you know, Pastor, I was tithing, but it didn't work. I said, what do you mean it didn't work? She says, well, I tithed and I still had need. And I I thought the Lord said he would bless you. I said, he does bless you. You have a church you go to. What if everybody in the church tithed like you? What would happen to our church? And she goes, well, it closed. And I said, so you have a blessing. She said, well, yeah. I said, do you like me as a pastor? And she said, yes, you're a wonderful pastor. I said, so you have a blessing. She goes, yeah. I said, you made it here today. You have friends here. God's providing. You have blessing. What you want is to be rich. And that was never promised. God has never let you down. The word doesn't say you'll be rich and you'll be driving your Mercedes and your Porsches and you'll be blessed beyond words and you'll own the houses on all of the Lake Charlevoix and you'll, that, that was never in scripture. What he says is he'll meet your needs. And so in the kingdom of God, we have a gap between our theology and our reality. And so what often happens in Christendom, now listen to me, is that we dumb down our theology to match our reality instead of raise our reality to match our theology. And we wonder why the church in America is anemic, self-consumed, sometimes the grumpiest people you'll ever meet. I mean, imagine if someone came up to you and said, on a practical level, I can't wait for you to meet my wife. She's really great. Oh, she's wonderful. You'd be like, I don't want to meet her. But we go around and we argue and we fight with people and we have critical conversations and we walk around with a grumpiness on our face and say, we want you to meet Jesus. You know what? No one wants to meet a Jesus that looks like the world they live in. They want a Jesus who brings life to them. That they can see a tangible difference in the way that somebody lives. Listen, we were created in God's image, not God created in our image. And so when we dumb down our theology to meet our reality, we move God to more what we like versus us moving to what he requires. Are you with me? Good. You made it through the hardest part. Have you ever had a conversation with yourself that needed um, you needed a pep talk? I had preached in a church near our house and on a Sunday, and then I went in that area the next week, uh, like a week or two later, and I was at a restaurant, and this uh, young lady kept messing up our order. No matter what happened, it was messed up. If I ordered a, a water, she brought me a pop. If I ordered a cheeseburger, she brought me a tuna fish sandwich. I mean, it was just bad at one thing after another. And I had that moment where I was giving myself an internal dialogue conversation. I was getting really, really mad, and I was like, I have a right to be frustrated. And I'm not an angry person. I'm a pretty laid back, easy going person. But I had this internal battle and with everything in my flesh, I wanted to tell her how terrible she was, but I didn't. And finally, I'm glad I didn't because the internal dialogue saved me from an external problem. 
she hands me the final food when it was right, and she says, by the way, Mr. Superintendent, it was really great to have you preach at our church the other day. Your message really helped me. How many are thankful for internal conversations? I said, it is a blessing to be with you. And she says, oh, it meant so much. And I thought, if I had acted the way I felt inside, she would have had a very different opinion of who I was because of, and it was truthfully not who I really am, but who I wanted to be in that moment. Every once in a while, we have to have a conversation with ourselves to bring our reality back up to our theology. We have to have that moment where we say, I know this. Listen, uh, the devil is not in everything. Can I say this? I'm concerned greatly. Uh, Pastor Mike asked me, what trends are you seeing? This is one of the trends I didn't share with you yesterday. The kingdom of God talks so much about the devil that it's almost like we've elevated the devil to a place of position of power that he doesn't have. Every time I talk to Christians, they say things like, well, I, the devil's after me. Of course he is. If you're a believer in the kingdom of God, the devil should be after you. We say things like this. Uh, oh, man, the devil. Man, I was driving. I got a flat tire. The devil tried to get me. No, somebody put a screw on the road and your tire ran over it. It's not the devil. He wasn't sitting there on, on M631 going, mm-hmm. Well, my refrigerator died. Yes, if you have a 10-year-old refrigerator, they're almost done. If you have a 40-year-old refrigerator, it's got 40 years of life left on it. How many know they just don't make things good anymore? And we talk about the devil all the time. And then we have bad theology we talk about when it comes to God. We say things like this, man, the Holy Spirit really showed up tonight. Now, think about that. I know what we mean. What we mean is it was an awesome service. But that's really bad theology when you tell yourself that all the time because that suggests the Holy Spirit takes a vacation to Charlevoix once a year. He doesn't. The Holy Spirit is with you. You are the temple of the Spirit. Wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is with you. And we have these moments. In fact, when I was pastoring, I started to realize people were assigning their prayer requests to me. They would say, Pastor, would you pray for this? And I'd say, okay. And uh, I'd go back up to them uh, the next week. Hey, how'd that turn out? And they'd say, oh, what? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good now. And I started to get frustrated because I think what was happening was people were coming up and saying, if I give my prayer request to my pastor, he'll pray for me. So I got up on a Sunday morning and announced to the church, I'm no longer going to pray for anyone in this church. And you should have heard the gasps. <gasps> I said, I'll pray with you, but not for you. And they said, what do you mean? I said, if you look at four, meaning I'll pray for you as a person, you're missing the point. But if I'll pray instead of you? And so I said, every time you come and ask for a prayer request, here's my question to you. I ask this question every time. Pastor, would you pray for this? I say, "Would you? Pray? are you praying for this? Yes, I am. Good, then I'll pray with you. And I would pray with them. It, sometimes people would say, probably not. I'll say, then I'm not going to take up your own prayer request. This is your spiritual journey. This is your spiritual assignment. In other words, in the kingdom of God, we've got to start taking responsibility for our reality in the scope of the Bible's theology. By the way, the Bible is still the authoritative word of God. No matter what anyone says, no matter how much society and even religious leaders are trying to dumb down the word of God, the word of God is still the standard. And so because the Word of God has a theological standard for our lives to live up to, now we have to have a conversation with ourselves and find out how to raise our reality back. And we walk into Psalm 103. And King David is doing this exact thing. David is actually having a conversation to get a better view of God where he's saying, where my belief in you is at is not matching my reality. So David sits across the table like he's having coffee with his with a friend by having coffee with his soul. He sits at a table, puts his soul out in front of him, so to speak, not, not in some sort of spiritually creepy way, but in a sense of internal dialogue. And he sits down and says to his soul, you and I are going to have a conversation about our reality. And by the way, nobody can do this for you. This message cannot do this for you. Every believer has to have these moments where we do what David does and we sit down and he says, I want to do this so I don't forget the benefits of God. Why? Because we forget. We are forgetful people. 
Why do you think all throughout Scripture Jesus has to repeat the same theme over and over to His disciples? Why do you think the disciples didn't get it until He ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon them? They thought He was primarily there to liberate them from Rome. And He did miracles and He was the Messiah, but they didn't understand what that meant. Well, why is it that all through the thread of Scripture there's this theme, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God, and people don't get it all throughout Scripture, and God keeps having to remind them, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. The blessings of God, the benefits of God come with being God's people. And yet, time and time again, humanity forgets. It's because it's part of our nature. We sort of forget And so David decides to not forget. And so he sits down in in verses 1 through 2 and he says this. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now that is not just an encouragement. That is a direct command to his soul. Hey soul, praise the Lord. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It's like, hey, are you listening, soul? I said it once, now I want it. I got your attention. Forget not all his benefits. What David is doing here in the conversation with his soul is saying, my life is getting in the way of what I know God to be. And they are the benefits of God, meaning the attributes of God, meaning what God does and who God is, that I'm losing reality with it. And by the way, aren't you thankful David's in the Bible? A man after God's own heart who blew it over and over and over and over again was a terrible father, didn't do a lot of things right in life, but God continually uh, gets his attention and David constantly is having a talk with his soul. How about that? Forget not your Holy Spirit. Return unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. What is he saying? Soul, get on board with what God has. Christians, can I just tell you, I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but I will tell you this. It's your last years no matter what. We're one second closer than we were one second ago to the Lord's return. I do know this. The Bible makes it clear. It's not going to get easier before he comes. I'm not advocating some sort of passive approach. We should be involved in our society. But can I encourage you? It's not going to get easier. So Christians have to get tougher. We have to have these moments where internally we say it to our soul, you may not feel like it's soul. You may be laying on the front row or on the couch of my life, but get up, my soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And by the way, that doesn't mean during a worship service when you like the song. I had a lady in my church come and she says, oh, pastor, we need more songs. I said, why? She goes, it takes me the first two songs to get over the fight with my husband on the way into church. Then I don't usually like one song. And usually by the last song, you pick a song that I really like. And I start worshiping. And I said, that is ridiculous. (laughs) And she said, what? I said, are you kidding me? Okay. I said, in the Bible, where does it say, praise the Lord when all things are good? In fact, most of the great moments of praising the Lord, I've stood in Paul's prison in Rome. I stood in the prison cell. It is terrible. It is awful. But that's where he talks about the hope of the Lord. That's where he talks about the goodness of God. That's where he talks about singing unto him. Can I just tell you, the Christian American church is anemic because we've forgotten how to do what Paul, what David is doing to himself. We forget the benefits of God. We don't talk to our soul. We let it sleep on the couch of our life until it's motivated to do something. David says, take command of your life and to remind it to praise the Lord Oh, my soul. And then David starts to go down. And this is encouraging. This should get you encouraged. And I won't preach too long. By the way, when preachers say in closing, they're not lying to you when they don't. They're just giving you hope to know it needs to end at some point. Uh, So it's not a lie. It's just they're giving you hope. Okay. So first thing he talks about is forgiveness. Come on. That's where it needs to start. He says this, praise the Lord on my soul, forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins. He repeats that in verse 12 of Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He starts with forgiveness because that's where it all begins. And I think he forgets something that we all forget. Forgiveness in his world and in our world tends to be conditional. You forgive somebody until they do it again. And it's not that they did it again and you need to forgive that. It's that you bring them back to the same part because you never truly forgave in the first place. 
I had a lady in my church one time. She said, you need to pray for my kids. I told them that if they don't give their heart to Christ in the next three days, I'm not going to be their mother anymore. She says, now they're not answering my calls. I said, what? In the, what? Yeah. And that's not going to win people to Jesus. I don't understand that. What are you doing? The reality is, is that forgiveness is something that God gives us that is unconditional other than the ask for forgiveness. Once you've asked, once forgiveness comes, he wipes it out. He knows our tendencies. He may guide us away from things. But in our mind, we tend to be conditional. I wonder if David wondered the rest of his life if Uriah's extended family and friends never liked him and would kill him after he had Uriah killed because he had an affair with his wife. I wonder if David constantly kept looking over his shoulder with whatever children he had left because of what Absalom had done and because of what had happened and occurred to his daughter from his other son. I wonder if David, from the moment spears started flying at him and Saul started criticizing him, the rest of his life wondered if anyone ever truly forgave. Because David's life was a constant. As he's being kicked out of the city and he's walking down the road, one of Saul's descendants are there heaving rocks and insults on him as he walks down the road. And David says, his men say, hey, let's go get him. And he says, no, I deserve it. Why? Because David's whole life was a series of betrayals. And I think what David is doing here in this moment is stopping himself and saying, Saul, you don't feel like you're forgiven. You don't feel like life is okay. But Saul, start praising the Lord because he forgives you. Because God forgives in a way that no one else does. If you're here today and you have a lack of forgiveness towards someone, get your soul off the couch of your life conversation and remind yourself yeah and if you're one who needs to ask for forgiveness get your soul off up the couch and say praise the lord oh my soul for the lord is good then david talks about healing psalm 103 3 says and he heals all your diseases now this is a tough one in life because people sometimes don't get healed here on earth Uh, But I believe this. God heals medically, progressively, miraculously. He uses doctors. He made our bodies able to repair themselves and heal. Rip's got some sort of tick bite that's destroying his back right now. And I I saw it on Facebook today and almost passed out. I was like, why are you putting that on there? I'm going to pass out right here. He also heals miraculously. But can I just also tell you something? For every single person who's a believer in Jesus Christ, he also heals eternally. Healing is guaranteed for every single believer. It just doesn't always happen on earth. My mom passed away in September. She was one of the most vibrant, energetic, loving people you've ever met in your life. I was a mama's boy, so I call my mom every morning at 8 o'clock. Yeah, bad. Yeah, you could settle, settle that down over there. You're, you're, amen and too much. No, it's true. I call my mom every morning. Uh, usually called her on my way home. I just loved... I love being Karen Halavin's son, and um, she got cancer twice, and uh, she was, uh, she taught me how to live, and she also taught me how to die. Um, when she was about 80, 85 pounds, she had, uh, she was still communicating, but in fragmented sentences, but she was conscious enough, and her arms, she just lost control of her arms, and so they would just move, and I'd say, Mom, what are you trying to get? And she'd say, I can't stop them, and so I'd come and sit next to her, and I'd hold her hands down just to kind of comfort her hands, and uh, we would just watch TV, and she'd fall in and out of sleep, but I was sitting there listening to her, and she was weeks away from dying. And uh, I would listen to her, and I realized she was singing, With every breath that I have in me, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. And I sat there and listened to a lady who loved living, who loved being a grandma. Oh, my goodness who loved being a mom, who was proud of her family and loved my dad like they had just met five days before, that she's facing death and she's still singing about the goodness of God. I think David is reminding himself that there's nothing that's beyond the reach of God and that death on earth does not win for the believer because heaven wins, that Jesus is the victor over it all. 
that healing is not about the way it occurs, but it, that it occurs. And that the goodness of God is still good, even when the physical bodies of life. That's why at her funeral we sang, Your goodness, that was a song we sang at her funeral, because to our family that was the theme of my mom's life, especially the last year. People would say, well, are you afraid to die? She goes, I've been telling everybody how good heaven's going to be forever. Why would I be afraid to go there now? And David is reminding himself of that. He's speaking to his soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, because God wins. Every time. Then he goes to redemption. I love this. He says, who f- redeems your life from the pit. Here's what I love about this. It's it, we, You say, well, isn't that the same of forgiving your sins? Uh, yes and no. Yes, he forgives you for sins. But what I love about God is this. If you're in a pit and these are the walls of the pit, it defines the limited capacity of where you can go. In the pit, if this room is a pit, and it is not a pit, I'm not insulting your worship center, but if this is a pit and you're in it, you can't get outside the pit. What he's saying here is it's not just that he forgives you of your sins, but he gets you out of the limitations of your life and puts you on solid ground so that the possibilities of God now expand beyond the limitations of the pit. Some of you have come into salvation in Christ, but you got old problems. And you jump in the pit of insecurity or regret or fear. And I think what David is saying to his soul is remind yourself. He redeems you not only for the forgiveness, but then gets you out of the confines that you've created to release your life to the hope of a greater tomorrow. Listen to Psalm 40 verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, even worse. Out of the mud and the mire. Watch this. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That's what he's saying. You're out of the pit. You're on a rock. You have a firmness to your life. You have possibilities. From there, you're stationed against the enemy that comes. You're prepared to move forward in life. Thank God, soul. God has got me out of the slimy pit. Because he's the ultimate redeemers of our lives that saves us from something to something to be something he created and imagined at the beginning. I, I'm jumping off script for just a second. This always makes Jamie nervous. But let me just tell you something that I've been weighing in my mind. Um, so God created the heavens and the earth and he created all creation. And then something hit me a while ago that in that creative nature, God created the ability for the creation to create beyond the initial creation. Did you follow that? And so we are supposed to be living in the continual creative nature of God that he created us to possess all through our journey. Which means that everything in life has the ability for God to speak through you to create something new, to create a conversation at a, uh, with an individual, whoever it is that's ministering to the lady who's, uh, nearing the end of her journey. Uh, that it doesn't have to be the create, the conversation in the exact way you've been trained, that the Holy Spirit allows you to be creative in the conversations you have, and the way you do things, and the ability to reach communities. That, that somewhere along the way, somebody dreamed up the idea that Boats would do a parade on Lake Charlevoix. And now it's become a thing. But it became a thing because somewhere, sometime, at some point, someone had an idea. And I think that's something that David is also addressing here, is that in the creative nature of the design of God, he gives us the ability to get to that solid ground and then go in whatever direction creativity led by the Holy Spirit leads us to do. The way that we started to reach our community in our neighborhood was amazing. So um, we uh, moved in. We, we built a really early during the Depression, uh, 2009 Depression, uh, we built a house. It was a really good time to build a house. We got a steal of a deal, and we got a lot of equity we never paid for. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, my soul. Praise the Lord. But we moved in, and there were five families, and these families uh, we were all living near each other. And it was an amazing moment. I came home one day in the church van because uh, I was getting an oil change. I just said, I'll take it home and bring it back tomorrow. And I got out, and I'm standing in front of a van that said, Freedom Christian Assembly of God. And I was listening to the four other men in the neighborhood sitting on my neighbor's driveway two houses down talking about how they hated Assembly of God people. Because they had gone to church services and had some abusive things occur. And I, and they all turn and look at me and there I am standing, Freedom Christian Assembly of God, and I was like, this is not good. So I decided I had to be friends to their neighborhood. Actually, you know how this happened? They would have these wild parties in our neighborhood. And, uh, 
And my wife and I would always take our young girls, they were eight and five at the time, out to eat, and we just kind of tried to ignore it. We came home, and my oldest was looking out the window. She says, Dad, Mom, why aren't we invited to the parties? And I said, oh, we're invited. We just don't do the things they do. And she made this statement. She said, well, how are they ever going to know Jesus if they don't know us? I grounded her, sent her to bed. No. So we, we told our church, all right, church, my neighborhood is a bunch of Facebook posting, uh, Instagram posting people. We're going to start hanging out with our neighbors. They're wild. They're partiers. You're going to see us sitting on decks where there's Bud Light and booze everywhere. I'm drinking my Diet Pepsis. You all need to get over it. I'm not consuming alcohol, and I'm consuming Diet Pepsis, and we're going to win our neighborhood to church. The result was, by the way, many of our families started coming to church. They see, they came and visited. Several from our neighborhood did. But, I, but back up. So I, I started going to the fantasy football parties, and uh, just joining fantasy football with them. We weren't gambling. We were just doing it for fun. And uh, it was amazing. <laughs> I started off just coming with my Diet Pepsi and new guys would move in and they'd be like, hey man, you want a Bud Light? And I'd say, no, I drink Diet Pepsi. And they would do this look. Okay. And they'd walk away. I thought they were judging me. That's not what was happening. As time went on, I'd show up and they'd have a cooler for me of Diet Pepsi. And a new guy would come up and go, Who's got this Diet Pepsi? I don't understand. <laughs> this is stupid. And, and all the guys go, shut up. I realized they thought I was a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> and they'd be like, and so the guy would have a, what? Oh, and he'd look at me and he'd go, you just do you, man. And I was like, oh my word. We started to, we had moments sitting on the back deck where a guy says to me, my daughter's having nightmares. What do I do? I said, well, why don't you pray with her at night? He goes, I don't know how to pray. No one's ever taught me. While a wild party is going on, I'm over there teaching a dad how to pray with his daughter. Next day, he comes running to the mailbox. Hey, Aaron, what? It worked. What did you, what kind of voodoo, goofy thing did you do? I said, nothing. It was just prayer. He goes, I'm coming to church with you on Sunday. We're coming to church. So he invites himself to church. I didn't even have to invite him. He brought himself, went to church. We go out to eat. He says to his kids, what they teach you? She says this, this, this. He goes, was that from the Bible? He goes, yeah. She goes, good. We need to be taught more principles of the Bible. And God started to move. Why? Because God created us to be involved in humanity. Our church started to go wild at winning people to Jesus. In fact, in our church of 750 people, four, uh, 60% of them are new converts in 10 years. Now, I will tell you, that messes everything up. We had all sorts of crazy things happen in our church services, all sorts of people doing things. We had people smoking in the sanctuary one day. We had, we had a guy run out of the church service screaming at the top of his lungs, this is the best, and he used expletive service I've ever been in in my life. And all of the 20 grumpiest people in our church were all in the hallway at the one time. By the way, he, he was a heroin addict that came up to me right before service. I'm walking on stage and says, Pastor, I'm, I can't sit through your service. I got, you preached too long. I, I, and I, I was walking on stage and I said, said, do what you have to do to stay, meaning go get a coffee, walk around. I get on stage and all of a sudden it dawns on me while I'm preaching, oh my word, does he think I told him to go shoot up heroin? I preached the shortest sermon I've ever preached. I got out the back door of the worship center. I turned it over to staff member. I went through the whole parking lot. I couldn't find the guy. Finally, after an hour of looking for him, I come and he's sitting in the back of the sanctuary staring at his hands. And I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, after you told me to go shoot heroin. I said, I did not tell you to go shoot heroin. He said, I came to my seat and a guy stepped out and said, sit with me. I don't think God's done with today. He said, I sat down and then you turned all the lights off. And all of a sudden, I wasn't high for the first time in decades. He started sending me pictures every single day of his scab, scabbing up. First it was up at his neck. He was shooting up here because he couldn't find veins. Then it was down his chest and his arms. Then I told him on Thursday, stop sending me pictures because it was moving down and I didn't know where this was headed. That's the guy who runs out of service on the next Sunday. This is the best service I've ever been in in my life. And immediately all the Christians in the room started to turn on him. And you saw the self-loathing start to come. And then I looked at him and I made this statement. I said, bro, I think there's going to come a point when you realize that's not appropriate. Oh, yeah, pastor, it's right now. I'm embarrassed. And I said, but it, but listen, I want you to go home celebrating what God did right in your life more than what you did wrong. And by the way, it's been a long time since any of these Christians have run out of a church service that excited about what God's done in their life. So don't listen to their judgment. And so he, he took off running. He's yelling down the hall, best coffee ever. He runs out the door. And, and, I, and I had to go into the cafe and, and, and literally... 
you wouldn't believe it. All the people came in and they started yelling at me and I'm standing there and they're chewing me out. The church is unsafe. We've got people, sinners in our, in our building all the time. We had a drug dealer from Detroit coming. I put the safety team on him to make sure he wasn't dealing, but he came for three years before he gave his life to Christ and, and closed his whole drug dealing empire. And he had enough money to live the rest of his life. And his first question to me was, what do I do with all that? since I got it from drugs. I mean, we're talking real serious stuff. So we're in this room. All these people are yelling at me, chewing me out. And finally, this one guy stands up, slams his hand down and says, shut up. And he looks and goes, I know what you talk like when we go duck hunting. And I know what you were like before you knew Christ. And I know the sin in your life. You're addicted to... He starts calling all these grumpy Christians out. He stops, goes, is this okay? I said, go ahead. Yeah, I just stand back here. But that was the moment that everything changed. That was when people from the LGBTQAI community started getting saved in our church. Transforming their life out of that community and into the kingdom of God. That was when drug addicts and, I mean, we had parties, we had neighborhood block parties that we would reach communities and people would show up who got saved a week ago, absolutely intoxicated, wearing our Freedom Christian shirt, showing up going, that's my pastor, this is the greatest church of all time. And our people in our church never judged those people because they knew that God hadn't gotten through to them yet. And a year later, every time I'd be standing at that block party with the same couple and they'd say, hey, do you remember me last year? I said, oh, yes, how could I forget? Actually, they made it into one of our promo videos. We had to change that in the background while they're showing this kids playing. Here's this couple. And I'm like, we got to get that out of the video. But but listen, it'll mess up your church. And you know what? It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And you know what the result was? All of our long term Christians started to come alive in Christ again. Because they started to have to have answers for things they haven't had to answer in decades. They had to know why their theology mattered. What did they really believe? How do I answer that? How do I handle that? And our church became this place where people were getting saved all the time. And God did incredible works in their lives. Next, David goes on, he talks about this, and I'm getting closer to the end, love and compassion. I love this, verse 4, he says, and he crowns you with love and compassion. Let me, let me share this, what do I mean by this, what I think this means. David the king is crowning, would, would, I'm sorry, God crowns David as king. And David wears as the king the crown, which symbolizes his authority wherever he goes. What David is saying is, is that God crowns people who follow him with love and compassion. Meaning that wherever you go, love and compassion should be part of what you're identified as. That Christian believers should wear that attribute of God with honor. I am a loving and compassionate person. Listen to verse 11. He goes on and says, For as high as the heavens are the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. He goes on. Uh, and, and, and why is it tied to fear? It's not fear of scared of God. It's honor and reverence for God because those who honor and reverence God have a direct understanding of the love and compassion God gives them because of the relationship you have. If God is nothing more than someone you fear in religion, then you're never going to be loving and compassionate because you don't see that side to God. If you honor Him, have reverence for Him, the holy fear of God, you have an understanding of how He's just and fair and balanced and love and compassionate. And when those things are part Part of your journey, you wear that as a crown. So most of the American church society is grumpy and negative because we've lost touch with the love and compassion and we wonder why evangelism isn't working. It's not working because, again, we have lost something that our soul needs to be reminded of. Listen to Romans 5.5. 5. God's love has been poured into your, our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He pours His love into us. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. David is making this a point. That fear and honor of God reminds his soul of the love and compassion that God crowns us with to live out each and every day. Before service, I made a new friend, little Daisy May. She's my buddy. Took me all of 30 seconds to think that is a world-changing girl right there. It was hilarious. She told me I have a sister. She never said anything about her brother. I met him later, Waylon, who is, uh, uh, wanted me to know there was a famous musician named after him, uh, sort of. Uh, listen, I, I could tell you, you see someone like Daisy May, and the reason why she matters to me is because she matters to God. 
We had some very difficult people that were hard to love come into our church, but they mattered to God, so I loved them with everything I had. I remember a six-year, uh, eight-year-old kid who was going back to foster care, had been in our church for six months, walking down the hall. He says to me, Pastor, I'm going back to my mom and dad. Can you get down to my level? That's what we our talk was. So I, I believe in talking at kids as best as you can. If you ever see me talk to a kid, I try to get down to their level. When my knees and back aren't hurting, I will get on the ground. And this day I was okay. So we slid down the wall and I'm sitting on my rear. He's sitting on his rear. We're in the hallway of the church. People are walking by and he says to me, Pastor, I've come here for six months. I met Jesus here. My parents are not Christians, but they've done what they've had to to get me back. But I'm going to win those people to Jesus. He says, someday my whole family will be in church because Jesus is the only person who's never let me down. And as he began to tell the story of his life, I started to think about all the workers who got down to his level. All the moments when kids came into a church and people made them feel, made this kid feel like he was the most important. See, what you do as a church relationally represents to kids what God does for them and how God loves them as people. That love and compassion we wear can change the world. We were with a server yesterday. I just had a sense in my heart that this lady was an amazing person. We started encouraging her as a table. When she left, she said this, this was my favorite table of the day. And I loved that. And, and, and now when Mike and Chris go back, if they ever get her as a server at the landing, they're going to know. They've got a relationship started. Why? Because love and compassion in a world that lacks it makes a difference. In fact, the number one mark of your life will be as, is if you, in fact, let me tell you one other story. I'm going to wrap this up here. I got a couple more small things, but I'm, I'm rambling too much. When I was in high school, I was never the kid who went up and preached everywhere you went. I was a Christian all through school. I was very popular. I, I tell everyone, this is what popularity looks like 30 years after high school. I tell that to teenagers so they can lower the bar and realize it's not that great. And they always are like, do we laugh at that or is that pathetic? But it's true. I was in a public high school, captain of the basketball team, runner-up for homecoming king, and mock election best personality in a public school as a Christian believer. Just so you know, I never drank. I never partied. I never was inappropriate with girls. I will tell you, I lived a Christian life in a public high school, and people honored that. But the reason why is at the end of my school year, um, one of the things that was the greatest honor of that is, and I prayed this all through school, Lord, just help everyone know I'm different. That's all I want. At the end of my school year, uh, some boys in my class were jealous because I was popular and I hadn't had to compromise my values. And so they shot the windows of my house out with airsoft BB guns, almost hit my mom in the eye. And it was a weird moment from being really well-liked and well-known to all of a sudden being the guy that had a little bit of a crazy moment. And uh, I said, Lord, I, I got to handle this right. I didn't want to handle it right, but I was mad. And it was during basketball season, and they were the guys who were my best friends on my basketball team. I had to play the rest of the season with guys who shot the windows out of my house. And I remember praying, Lord, you got to let me have love. you got to show me how to have compassion on these people. And you know what happened at the end of my senior year when we were having a graduation? Do you know what the senior class did without me knowing? Because I handled it so well and they loved my family, they went to the school administration, school board, and got permission to have my dad, who was a pastor, be the last and only person to ever close out a commencements with prayer over a senior class. And they said, Jeff Halavin, a pastor and father of Aaron Halavin, is coming. He got on stage and the whole student body stood and cheered for my dad. And my dad prayed a blessing. Do you know that in a a reunion Facebook group just the other day, somebody said, hey, remember when we graduated and we threw the hats? Remember? And it said this phrase. Remember all that happened that day? This, this, and the prayer. I thought, oh, my word, 30 years after high school. Somebody remembered my dad prayed. Why? Because love and compassion makes a difference. And then he says, and we'll roll quick with this. In fact, Jackie, you can come on up and play. Uh, Satisfies and renews. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth will be renewed like an eagle. He talks about the molting process of an eagle that grows and gets stronger, that life gets better. I can tell you, uh, you can get older, but you don't have to become old. You know, my church was filled with 70, 80-year-olds who who were vibrant. I remember, this is a story some people don't like, but it led to salvation. Uh, one of the uh, transgender individual came to our congregation, a male, 
who was uh, transitioning to female. And on a Sunday, he came in, and I saw I saw a uh, older lady heading towards him. I thought I better get there before this becomes a battle. And I get there, and this is what she says. She says, "I want you to know, you come to a church that believes the Bible, and we believe God made us male and God made us female. And we believe in same marriage uh, marriage between male and a female. We don't believe in your lifestyle, but I also want you to know you're going to come to a church that really loves you. But if you're going to do your makeup, can I at least help you do it well?" I was like, what is happening? So she took him to the cafe, redid his makeup. Guess who he sat next to next Sunday? And the third Sunday, and the fourth Sunday, and the sixth Sunday, when he gave his life to Jesus, guess who he asked to pray for him? And God changed his life. He now lives as a man. He attended another church. I told him, I said, listen, you got saved here. Everybody knows your history. Why don't you go to another really good Bible-believing church where you can start fresh? So we sent him to another great church. Why? Because sometimes the satisfying and renewal of your desires puts you back in what God did the first day you got saved. Remember when you got saved? You wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. Guess who told you you shouldn't? Christians. You know what he renews in David? What he renews in our souls is that our words and our life matters. That we can make a difference at 80 like we made a difference at 20. And then he says righteousness. The Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. How many are grateful that God cares about the orphan and the widow, the human trafficked kid, the individuals in life? It just makes me love God more to know how God loves us best. He loves us. He says, soul, remember, when you're feeling down and out, those in society that no one cares about, he works on their behalf. He loves on their behalf. He is constantly working throughout humanity and on humanity. I was at a grocery store. Short lady couldn't reach chicken bouillon cubes. I reached up to grab it for her because I'm always looking for opportunities. Before I walk into any room, gas station, church, any meeting, anywhere, I pray this prayer. Lord, give me a chance to show your hope and be a light to somebody today. I pray it everywhere I go, all day, every time. No matter how many times I stop, I pray that. And so that was my prayer. So I give it to her. She says, you remind me of my son. And I said, oh, I'm sure he's handsome and really well-spoken. She goes, he was. And I said, he was. And she said, yeah, he got hit by a drunk driver and killed. And I said, oh, my word. I'm so sorry. And she said, yeah, we used to go to church every Sunday. I said, I bet your church communities wrapped their arms around you. She goes, no, I haven't been back because I feel like God took my son. Now, I know hundreds of times people have challenged her on that. I know she has had all her Christian friends and her pastor tell her, God did not take your son. But in that moment, at the right time, at a Kroger grocery store in the middle of a pandemic, she was ready to listen to a question God wanted her to hear one more time. And I said, ma'am, what if God didn't take your son? A drunk driver did. Long story made short, she gave her heart to Jesus Christ over chicken bouillon cubes at a Kroger. Why? Why? Because he's constantly working on humanity. Always. And then known. Verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. See, there's something about God that is amazing. He hasn't hidden himself from us. He wants to be known. He wants us to know His plans. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. We know John 10.27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Listen to Psalm 139.7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? There's just this understanding that exists that David is reminding his soul that God is everywhere. God is working. God wants to be known to us. God wants to make himself known to me. If you say, well, I don't hear the voice of God. Just read the word of God. He's speaking all the time. I think God speaks all the time. We just don't listen. I just think he's talking all the time. I remember going to a uh, Coney Island and I felt like I was supposed to share with this lady the, about the Lord. And, but we were in a hurry and I made the decision not to. Went back two days later, found out she died that night. I forever will live with the question of, and hope of God. Was I her last or did you get somebody else who was more obedient to share? And I made a decision. I would never miss the things of God with everything I could 
with all my heart. And then he says this, he's slow to anger. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. How many are grateful God does not look like you or act like you? He's slow to anger. And then he's balanced. And then we'll conclude with this. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us like our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You know what he's saying? Hey, soul, God balances us. He's not on one side or one extreme. He balances us our li- balances our lives. Psalm 143. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Your spirit leads level ground. Christians should be balanced. The Holy Spirit reminds us, sort of guides us like the airplane to get us back on track so we don't live in extremes. Jim, I'll just cut right there. There won't be the other slides. And so I I just want to encourage you. David is having this internal conversation. And the reason he's having it is because his soul is not matching up. His reality is not matching up with his theology. And David says, soul, praise the Lord. Today, my challenge to you is that each of us would have a conversation with our soul. Life hurts. This, This new thing going around about church hurt. I hear it in the younger generations. The church hurt me. And I've been challenging them. I met with a bunch of young adults who were going through church hurt. And I said to them, I said, okay, let me ask you a question. If your boss hurts you on the job, do you quit working the rest of your life? They said, no. I said, if your wife or husband hurts you, do you quit your marriage? They said, no. I said, but wives and husbands don't do that. I said, you're just not married yet. You don't understand. said, when your kid says something mean to you, do you quit on that? I said, no. I said, why in every area of life do you have stick to made up word. But when it comes to faith, you let church hurt rob you and you decide the church is flawed and God is flawed and I walk away from it. And it was an emotional moment for them. And it was like kind of saying to your soul, get up if you're hurt. Get up if you're, if you need forgiveness today. Soul, get up and remind yourself of the benefits of God. If you need more love and compassion, you need to learn to trust that God is your healer. If you need to understand the balance of life again, have a conversation across the table from your soul and remind it to get up because tomorrow is a good day in him. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray over you and then turn it over to Pastor Mike. And thank you again for allowing us to be here and, and be with you. I'm a few minutes over. Sorry, Pastor Mike. I got sidetracked. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray for this congregation, these amazing people. Lord, whatever it is, wherever it is within their soul, Lord, I pray we would have the conversation. Lord, prophetically, I'll say, get up our souls. (laughs) Praise the name of you, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Whatever it is, Lord, in this congregation, help us remind our soul of the benefits because we forget. Let us live like David and say, God, I need you. I need to be reminded of how great you are, of your righteousness, of your slowness to anger, of the way you've been good to me. So praise the Lord, all our souls. Can we just praise him for just a second, just audibly? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We lift our souls again to remind us the benefits of your goodness and your greatness, God. We do not want to rely or live on our own nature, but God, we give that to you. We celebrate you. We honor you for the goodness of who you are to us. We praise your holy name. And Lord, help us to do soul work the rest of this week and to give honor to you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Pastor Mike. Pastor Aaron, thank you so much. Amen. What are you doing next week? Can you come back next Sunday? All right, cool. You know, let me just tell you, let me finish the story that he talked about, about going to the landings last night, yesterday afternoon. We went to the landings. We got there, and it was my plan to pay for a meal, okay, and um, I don't do this often, but I use the church credit card. Um, I don't use it often, um, but I forgot my wallet. And so we were walking in, and so Aaron says, no, I'll get it. And Chris says, well, I've got our card. And I said, no, 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 let me go get my my card. So I went back, and they were waited a 25-minute wait. I went back, got my wallet, came back. No big deal. I didn't think anything of it. Well, the comment that he made it to the waitress was, there was really a moment happening there. 
And uh, so afterwards, um, uh, the bill, Larry, I'm telling you right now, because you're going to get this. Um, the bill was $84 uh, for the landings, which wasn't too bad, by the way. But, you know, I gave her a $25 tip. And it had on about Shalway Assembly of God Church on the credit card. So let me just tell you, be generous. Don't be Christian, a cheap tipper. When you go to a restaurant and you're, especially when you said we're both pastors, you know, give them a generous tip. So I just want you to, Larry, there's coming a tip and they might get a credit card to say, why did you give this much? Because sometimes credit cards do that, right? But I just want you to know that it's okay to be generous when you are claiming to be a Christian. Amen. Thank you so much. It was a great word today. We needed to hear that. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, I just thank you for this day today. And I pray blessings over Pastor Aaron and Jamie, Lord, in all their travels. And I love the way he said it. They travel thousands of miles, but at the end of every mile, there's a person that they need to meet, they need to relate with. And we have the same thing in our lives. So, God, I pray that you would help us to be a change agent in this community. This church has been here for almost 75 years. And Lord, I know many people have been in this church and said, I've done there, been there, done that, not coming back. And I pray, Father, that you would bring healing. God, that it would start right here, right now. Lord, that we'd go into our communities and we would be that light in this dark world. It's a fun place to live, but it's a dark world here. And we know that. So I pray light, Father, would just emanate from these people and from this place. And we just commit it to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said with me, amen, amen. Be blessed today and enjoy your time. And let's just do what we need to do. Amen. Have a great day.